Hey guys, welcome back to Recalibrate, a mindset podcast designed to help you break free from the old and press on to the new. It honors me that you connect every week to listen, to learn, and to grow. If you are a subscriber, I want to say thank you for that. And if you are new to this podcast, I hope and pray that you get more than you expect and that it helps you break free from old mental constructs, paradigms, mindsets, and opens up a window of opportunity and that it elevates your hope and your faith. I would ask you to please take a few minutes after listening to this episode to rate this podcast with five-star rating, of course, (laughs) and that you would also leave a positive review. Your reviews, your positive words are an encouragement to me and they are like honey to my soul. Can I share one with you today? This is from Jessica B.H. Delgado, it says, What a wonderful, inspiring podcast. I am enjoying every minute and look forward to more shows. Thank you, Milton, for your kind and accountable words. They are so easy to listen to and leave me wanting to learn more. Thank you for doing God's work. Wow, thank you so much for your kind, uplifting, and positive words. They bless my soul. The following clip is from the TV series Friends, and it is specifically highlighting the personality of one of them, one of the characters. Her name is Monica. Listen closely. Okay, um, we're just going to have to spend some time and put the CDs in the right cases. Should I help you clean up? No way. You had your party, now I have mine. You have to sleep on this side of the bed because I have to sleep on this side of the bed. Oh, no. Was I cleaning in my sleep again? I got soap and sponges and rags and carnauba wax and polishing compound. You don't even have a car. I know, but uh, one time there was this really dirty car parked in front of the building, so I I washed it. And? And six others. There you are. Why is everything different? I want to show you how to fold the toilet paper into a point. And I do ask that when you're not using the markers, you put the caps back on them because they will dry out. I'm Monica. I wash the toilet 17 times a day, even if people are on it. She mentioned that she adored the way that you arranged the sponges. Did you get Monica's authorization to move all of her stuff? The debate tag shouldn't be at the top left corner. It should be at the bottom right corner. Why do all your coffee mugs have numbers on the bottom? Uh, that's so Monica can keep track. That way, if one of them's missing, she can be like, where's number 27? Exactly. Okay, so I'm responsible. I'm organized. But hey, I can be a kook. All right, you see these little flower blossoms? They should be facing up, not down, because, well, the head of the bed is where the sun would be. The end table is wrong, and the couch looks bizarre, and don't even get me started on the refrigerator magnets. Monica categorizes her towels. How many categories are there? Everyday use, fancy guest, fancy guest. Now, does that sound familiar to you? Does that sound like somebody that you know, somebody you live with, or... Does that depict you 100%? So in the TV series Friends, Monica is the perfectionist. She's always striving for things to be perfect. Now, perfectionism is not the same as organized or clean. Perfectionism is something that is not attainable. It is unrealistic. 
Actually, if you've been listening to previous episodes, I believe that at least a couple of times I have mentioned my own definition for perfectionism. And I've said that perfectionism is an outward expression of an inward lack of peace. You see, a lot of people think that perfectionism is actually a positive attribute, a positive trait. But let me tell you that perfectionism is a risk factor for obsessive compulsive disorder, obsessive compulsive personality disorder, eating disorders, social anxiety, body dysmorphic disorder, workaholism, self-harm and suicide, substance abuse and clinical depression, as well as physical problems like heart disease. And let me tell you that perfectionism is on the rise. It was evident back years ago, but now it's, it's more prevalent. It is affecting uh, a broader group of individuals, both young and old. You know, back in the day, you would take a picture with a Polaroid, an instant uh, Polaroid camera, and whatever you looked like, that's what you got. There were no filters that you could use to uh, change the shape of your nose, the shape of your eyes, the color of your hair. Uh, the length of your neck. I mean, there were no filters and there was a lot of transparency. And so in the 90s and the early 2000s, you know, Photoshop became a popular editing tool for pictures, for photography. And so then you had all of these male and female models in magazines that looked perfect. They didn't have a six pack. They had an eight pack, (laughs) a 10 pack, who knows, but they looked perfect. And what did we see in our youth? We started to see an uprise in anorexia, in bulimia, a lot of body dysmorphic disorder, depression, and anxiety, simply because they were not able to look like those in the magazines. Fast forward a couple of decades, and now what do we have? We have a multiplicity of apps that you can use to filter your pictures on the spot. You don't need a fancy computer or fancy software. You simply download a free app, and with that, you can change everything about you to make you look like a totally different person. Our younger generations have never lived in a world that isn't filled with digitally manipulated images. They have had access to modern technology and social media for pretty much their whole lives, and they've also had the power to digitally manipulate images for themselves. During the first month of lockdown during the pandemic, the internet provider Comcast reported a 60% increase in its peak network traffic in some regions. Meanwhile, Instagram was the second most used social platform with about 50%, listen, 50% of U.S. adults active as of March. This means we could be starting at and inevitably evaluating our faces more than ever in a world where even Zoom, you know, the video conferencing app, has a touch-up my appearance tool. How much does this self-gazing damage our mental health, you may ask? Well, all signs point to a whole lot. There's a well-established link between social media usage and psychological concerns. Instagram and other social media platforms have been tied to anxiety and depressive symptoms, but also to concerns such as anxiety related to physical appearance, increased body dissatisfaction, and lower 
self-esteem. And now that we're spending more minutes on these platforms, we can only assume, now listen, we can only assume that these concerns have not only remained, but have also shown a significant increase by now. People suffering from perfectionism are usually extremely hypercritical of themselves. If something isn't perfect, then they start to internalize their perceived shortcomings and feel bad about themselves. They may feel extreme shame and lots of self-doubt all the time. As I mentioned before, perfectionism can manifest itself in some very dangerous, toxic, and, and crazy ways, including depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, alcoholism, anorexia, or bulimia. The anorexic child is overly critical of their own body. They may look at a fashion magazine and realize that only perfectly skinny people without any body fat are people worthy of approval. They then make bodily perfection their goal. The fact that the magazines airbrush their models to erase all imperfections or that the photographer must take hundreds and hundreds of pictures in order to find that one good one never really matters to them. When I meet people who tell me for the very first time that they're perfectionists as if it were a positive trait, a positive personality characteristic, I oftentimes say, well, I'm sorry to hear that, you know, because I am, because I know that perfectionism is deep rooted in some form of childhood trauma. Perfectionism is about an almost obsessive need to have control over every aspect of uh, their life or the lives of those around them, including their children if they are adults. This need for control comes from a deep-seated shame regarding failure. As this is an unrealistic goal, it can create great feelings of anxiety and depression. Because of these feelings and a desire to never fail at anything, the perfectionist may actually stop pursuing new experiences or challenges. They view simple mistakes as failures as opposed to learning experiences. And although it seems counterintuitive, it is not uncommon for someone with perfectionistic tendencies to have tendencies towards hoarding. After all, if they cannot be perfect at keeping their house clean, they will procrastinate or ignore that project altogether. There can be an all or nothing aspect to the disorder. When the perfectionist gets into a relationship, it oftentimes only develops superficially. You see, they must always have the perfect clothes, the perfect job, the perfect vehicles, and the perfect vacations. They don't really discuss items of consequence, nor do they try for a deep level of understanding. They don't seek to understand. They want to be understood. They don't really share of themselves because to do so would mean they would have to expose their flaws and admit that they are not perfect. You see, the relationship is then based upon an unattainable fantasy, which can never be achieved. Without something substantial holding them together, the relationship probably won't last very long. Perhaps you have been in a relationship with someone who is a perfectionist. Perhaps you understand what I'm talking about. You know how the perfectionist brought so much anguish, so much strain into the relationship because everything had to be perfect. Everything had to be ideal. And because they have such a high standard for themselves, they also have a high standard for their, their partner, their spouse. And so that perfectionistic trait forms a wedge in between the relationship, separating emotions, disconnecting hearts, ultimately leading to divorce. 
Many years ago, I visited the home of a couple that was struggling in their relationship, and I went over to mediate. Uh, I had known them for some years, and they had confided in me their issues. Now, they had been married at that point about 16 years. Now, this happened many years ago, over 10, 12 years ago. They had done very well for themselves financially. They had built a a beautiful home. They had a wonderful looking family. Everything seemed perfect. The perfect cars, the perfect house, the perfect clothes, the perfect education, everything on the outside, of course, seemed perfect. Upon arriving to their home, I was uh, welcomed by the wife as she opened the door and she walked me to the living room. I noticed that she was holding some kind of a roller in her hand with a paint dispenser. And as we walked, I noticed that everything in the home was white, white walls, white carpet, white furniture, white granite floors. Everything was white and impeccable. It was probably cleaner than a hospital. Actually, the kitchen had never been used. Most of the time they had, they would order takeout because they didn't want or she didn't want to use the kitchen and get it dirty. And so everything was immaculate. And so I noticed that as we walked, she took that roller and she would roll paint on the walls wherever she saw scuff marks wherever she found an imperfection. As we walked and we talked, it was completely normal to her to roll paint on the walls as we walked into the living room. Of course, this personality trait of hers was detrimental to the relationship because he was never enough. He wasn't perfect enough. He wasn't tall enough. He wasn't wealthy enough. He wasn't young enough. He he wasn't enough. And she constantly compared herself to other people. Now, let me be clear. She was not comparing herself to the locals, to the people on her block in her neighborhood. Oh, no. She was comparing herself to the jet setters, the rich and famous, the people from Hollywood. And of course, she was never able to live up to that expectation, to that standard, which in her eyes, that was sheer perfection. And since she was not able to attain that, that became a constant battle in her mind that ended up costing her marriage. There's a story in the Bible about a woman who had this perfectionistic tendency. Her name is Martha, and she had invited Jesus over for dinner. So, in Martha's eyes, everything had to be perfect for the Prince of Peace, for the Son of God, for the Messiah. Everything had to be beyond excellent. And so Martha focuses on the menu. It must be fit for a king, but not just any king. After all, Jesus is the king of kings, she's thinking. In addition to cooking, there's sweeping and dusting and all other details. Martha ponders plans and prepares, and now upon Jesus' arrival, she's completely distracted by what's yet, (laughs) yet to be done. The Bible specifically says in Luke 10, 40, Martha, listen, Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. No doubt, as endeared friends of Jesus, both Martha and her sister, yes, she had a sister, Mary, she often listened to him speak to the multitudes. They heard him say, 
be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, does this mean that he expects all of his hearers to be sinless in thought, faultless in deed, and flawless in character? Of course not. To understand the heart of Christ on perfectionism, realize that you may need to rethink what perfection means in order to gain a biblical perspective. You see, Jesus, the perfect man, arrives at the home of his close friends, Mary, Martha, oh yeah, and I forgot to mention, Lazarus. Yes, Lazarus. Jesus' friend, the one that he brought back from the dead? Yes. And their conversation that evening is compelling. But notice the contrast. Martha fixates on food for the stomach, while Mary feasts on food for the soul. Let me say that again in case you didn't hear what I just said. So stop for a moment and pay attention. You see, Martha was focused on the food for the stomach, while Mary was feasting on the food for the soul. Both have their focus on Jesus, but Martha frets over what's going into his mouth while Mary focuses on what's coming out of his mouth. Mary relishes every word uttered by the wonderful counselor, while Martha flits, <laughs> Mary sits at the feet of Jesus, inspiring her spirit and soul. You see, the diverse behavior of the two sisters prompts a lesson from Jesus about biblical perfection. The one scurrying in the kitchen, not the one sitting at his feet, is the one who needs the lesson. After all, Jesus said, I tell you, do not worry about what you will eat or drink. Is not life more than food? Wow. Powerful stuff right out of the gospel according to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. So now picture this. Martha's eyes have become fixated on the reclining figure on the floor. In other words, her sister, Mary, simply sitting at the feet of Jesus. Just all nonchalant, no worries at all. Just taking every minute, soaking in every word. You see, resentment rears its ugly head and takes root in Martha's heart as she's watching everything happen. In essence, Martha is fuming in front of Jesus. How can Mary just sit there when there's so much to be done and Mary isn't helping at all, she's thinking. No one's helping me, poor me. No one notices my perfect efforts to make the perfect meal in our perfectly clean home with white walls and white granite floors and white carpet, white couches. Martha decides that Jesus needs to do something about this. So she's determined to get Mary off of her bum, <laughs> off the floor and into the kitchen. So rather than appeal to Mary, I mean, she doesn't go to Mary and say, hey, Mary, what's wrong with you? Get up off that floor. Oh, no. Martha challenges Jesus' insensitivity as she chastises him for being uncaring. Her words are saturated with self-pity. Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Yes, that's exactly what she told Jesus. Then, propelled by her Perfectionism, martyr Martha audaciously commands the commander of the universe, tell her to help me. <laughs> That's found in Luke 1040. 
You see, many people today are propelled by their perfectionism to their personal detriment. Perfectionists appear confident, conscientious, and highly productive, but the truth is, here's a big but, (laughs) the truth is, they are full of self-doubt and fear that the slightest mistake or misstep will cause others to be disappointed in them or even reject them. They become overly sensitive to the opinions and feedback of others, often disregarding their own healthy instincts. The Bible says people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord, the Lord looks at the heart. You see, perfectionists live in an overly cautious way. They're reluctant to try new tasks, take risks, or tackle big projects. They fear failing or appearing inadequate in the eyes of others. But the Bible says, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. So after Martha (laughs) confronts the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and tells him, aren't you going to tell her to help me? Jesus, he replies, and I can only imagine that he did so with grace and uh, compassion. He looks at her and he says, Martha, Martha. You see, not once, but twice, Jesus speaks her name, perceiving her unnecessary worry. Then, Then he addresses her problematic perfectionism. He says to her, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. That's Luke 10, verse 41 through 42. Stop doing. (laughs) Only one dish is really needed. Jesus is making it very clear. Martha must follow Mary's example, not the reverse, to sit and to partake of the food that will never perish. Even today, Jesus says to us in John 6, 27, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. So yeah, Jesus says to her, Mary has chosen what is better. But what exactly is that? What is better? Well, striving towards spiritual maturity, seeking to better understand God's divine purposes for your life is the far more noble endeavor. According to Jesus, you see the desire for excellence trumps the demand for perfectionism. And there is no way Jesus is going to let Martha prevent Mary's pursuit. And so it is with your life. Just as Martha was consumed with multiple duties and perfect dishes, are you consumed with multiple projects or perfect meals to impress certain people? Are you constantly performing, constantly doing to gain acceptance and approval? Listen, though many miss the point of Jesus' teachings, those who do understand know what is most important to do, and that is to sit at His feet. And Simon Peter explains why. He says, Lord, you have the words of eternal life. Now, please understand, perfectionism is not attainable, but excellence is expected, especially if you are a Christ follower. Excellence is expected of you. The best is expected of us. So I'm not, I'm not in no way, shape, or form telling you or advising you to be a slacker. <laughs> I'm not saying, you know, be unorganized, dirty, and uh, uh, late to every event, you know. No, no, I'm saying don't let that be your main focus. Don't be so fixated on the, uh, the minutiae. Focus on the things that are greater and not the temporary, but what is eternal. 
That's what I'm saying. And always strive for excellence. You know, even the Bible says that our God is a God of excellence. And if we have been made according to his likeness and image, and therefore that means that excellence is something that we can attain. Always trying to do better than yesterday. Never comparing ourselves to other people. You see, in education, we talk about growth and fixed mindset. People with fixed mindsets are the ones who do not like to take risks. They're the ones that are always comparing themselves to other people. And since they never measure up to that standard, they're always feeling bad about themselves. Growth-minded people love challenges. They love to be stretched. They love to grow. And they're constantly comparing themselves to themselves. They look at yesterday and they want to make sure that today they are better than they were yesterday or a year ago. A perfect uh, sign that someone has fixed mindset is when they say something like this. Oh, I remember the good old years. Oh, those were the good old times. Well, if those were the better times in your life and today really sucks, then something's wrong, my friend. You're not living the life that God has called you to live. So live a life of excellence. Now, some of you are probably asking yourselves if you have the profile of a perfectionist. Well, let me tell you, perfectionists maintain a black or white, all or nothing view of life. Uh, they set impossibly high goals and they strive to achieve them. They become overly concerned with what others think about them. Fear that they may lose their respect, status, or favor if they are exposed as being imperfect. They feel upset by the smallest mistake, especially when someone else points it out. They compare their weaker skills to the finest traits and talents of other people. They minimize their God-given gifts and agonize over areas of lesser natural ability. They find fault with others, feeling frustrated because they don't meet their standards. They think that uh, what they have accomplished is never good enough, and they procrastinate, feeling intimidated that it might not come out perfectly. That is the blueprint of a perfectionist. Now, such compulsive behavior takes its toll physically, because you need to understand this, that the mind, the body, and the spirit are interconnected, and addiction to perfectionism may result in negative consequences to your health and your well-being. So commonly, people who are perfectionists or have compulsive behaviors, they experience angry outbursts, arthritis, back pain, chest tightness, chronic fatigue, cold sores, depression, difficulty relaxing, dizziness, eating disorders, headaches, heart disease, high blood pressure, hives, muscle tension, sleep disturbances, stomach problems, and sore jaws as a result of grinding teeth. Now that's just to name a few. Perfectionism starts in an early age and it's caused by the lack of parenting skills on the behalf of mom and dad setting unrealistic expectations. Perfectionist parents uh, took a toll on the sixth president of the United States, for instance. The oldest boy in the family, John Quincy Adams, he, he bore the responsibility of carrying on his family's rich heritage and honor, and his parents never let him forget it. As a little boy, he was often told that he was expected to become a great man. He was expected to set an example of proper moral conduct for his siblings and to one day distinguish himself by setting an example of sacrificial service for his fellow countrymen. Little Johnny had big shoes to fill after all. His father was the second president of the United States. 
To drive home the high cost of freedom and service, Johnny's mother, Abigail, made him watch soldiers fall at the Battle of Bunker Hill, including witnessing the death of a beloved family friend, a traumatic lesson taught to him at the tender age of seven. Man, that wouldn't, that wouldn't fly in this day and age. You know that CPS would get involved right away, but back in those days, things were different. So how does one become a perfectionist? As the case of young John Quincy Adams, the seeds for perfectionism are often sown in childhood, as I mentioned before. Children who are loved, appreciated, or acknowledged only conditionally. Let me, let me capitalize that. Conditionally. With strings attached, in other words. Learn to value themselves on the basis of performance and the approval of others. Similarly, children whose parents harshly scold, punish, or shame them for failing to behave perfectly learn to fear mistakes and go to great lengths to hide their human imperfections. Sadly, such children clearly identify with the words of the psalmist, Psalm 44, 15 through 16. I live in disgrace all day long, and my face is covered with shame at the taunts of those who reproach and revile me. Johnny's parents issued tall orders for such a young boy. And when John Quincy Adams couldn't reach the higher bar of achievement, he seemingly was always cut down to size. His young, impressionable mind absorbed the constant barrage of parental expectations placed on him. And his self-image was molded by the crushing repercussions of the slightest failure. No wonder he transitioned from a shy, insecure boy into an introverted adult. No wonder he became his own worst critic and suffered days of his discouragement and depression. How different his mindset would have been had his parents heeded the Lord's instruction in Colossians 3.21. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. John Quincy Adams became a discouraged adult. You know, David the psalmist wrote Psalm 23 And, uh, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And in one of the verses he wrote, he makes us lie down in green pastures. And I believe that God the shepherd will call his sheep and lie them down or make them lie down in green pastures simply to avoid uh, exhaustion, to avoid uh, the burnout because perfectionists especially are always on the go. It's go, 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 go. It's not an eight-hour work day. It's a 12, a 16-hour work day. They are workaholics. And so God has called you to an honest day's work, but not to achievement addiction, my friend. I want you to understand this. Some of you listening right now are driven by this addiction to achieve, this addiction to please. And in the midst of your crazy pursuit, and I, I'm, I'm not being disrespectful, I'm just being honest, it is a crazy pursuit. In the midst of it, you are losing your life. You see, the Bible even says, what does it profit a man to gain the world if he loses himself? Have you considered that for a moment? Have you considered the fact that perhaps you are losing yourself at this time? simply because you are striving for something that is unattainable. It's unrealistic. 
And so consider Jesus' example. He fed the hungry. He calmed the storm. He healed the sick. He, he raised the dead. But still, the Bible says, he withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. He knew his need for time with his Father, to be at one with the Father, to be in the will of the Father and for the glory of the Father, not his own glory. And it's the same for you. You see, God is calling you to slow down, to spend time with him, to draw on his strength and to work neither for recognition nor for glory, but to work simply for his glory. So I'm going to wrap up this episode with some steps to follow to break free from perfectionism. And I'm going to use the word freedom as an acronym. Every letter, F-R-E-E-D-O-M, stands for a word. And I want you to listen to this. If you have a notebook out, I want you to write it down. And although I will attach this to the show notes, but please, 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 please try to be active in listening to the episodes in writing those key points down, those golden nuggets that you can later take with you and apply to your life. So freedom, the F stands for fulfill. Fulfill your God-given call to live under grace and not under the law or legalism. In other words, realize God's favor is freely given and cannot be earned through achievement. Operate under God's principle of grace and gratitude, not fear or compulsion. And remember to pursue freedom, not enslavement. R, release. Release your burden of guilt to God. Forgive yourself for not being perfect. Learn the difference between true guilt based on harboring unconfessed sin and false guilt based on feeling condemned for forgiven sins or for false accusations. Remember, Jesus died to give you a clear conscience so that you might not be hindered in drawing near to God. E, eliminate. Eliminate your need to please others. Very important. Listen to this again. Eliminate your need to please others and focus only on pleasing God. Make it your ambition to stop pursuing self-promoting achievement and start pursuing that which pleases God. Study God's word to learn what God values and what attitudes and actions are pleasing to him. And remember, remember, the Lord's desires for your life can be summed up in three requirements. <laughs> Micah 6, 8 says, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That's it. Let me say it again. Act justly, love mercy and walk humbly with your God. The second E stands for enlarge. Enlarge your time for rest, recreation, and communion with God. Learn to pause, worship, and reflect on God throughout the day. Slow down. Slow down. Rest and appreciate the small things in life, the things, things too priceless for money to buy, but regularly taken for granted. Remember, there is but one place of true rest. Psalm 62.1 says, My soul waits in silence for God only. From Him is my salvation. The D stands for decide. Decide to acknowledge your personal feelings honestly and release all resentment. 
Acknowledge resentment. Face and release any feelings of hurt toward your parents or others for not helping meet your needs for love, significance, and security, which are the three basic needs. Love, significance, and security. Become more compassionate towards others with similar struggles. And remember, God places a high value on honesty and forgiveness. The O stands for obey. Obey your Savior's mandate to live by the law of love rather than the law of fear. Let love become the motive behind all of your actions. Let love free you to become involved in the lives of others. And remember, the remedy for fear is always love. And lastly, the M stands for maintain. Maintain your sense of significance and satisfy your need for security by finding your identity in who? In Christ, of course. Now realize it is the Lord who establishes your worthiness and gives you significance and security. Understand you must die to self before Christ can live his life through you. Remember, you have a new life in Christ and now you belong to him. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body... I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. If the perfectionism has become more of an obsessive compulsive disorder, well, then there's also behavioral therapy, cognitive therapy, and of course, medication. So I want you to understand something as I close this episode. God is not looking for perfection. He's only looking for this position. If you are willing, He is able. If you are willing to change, if you're seeking transformation, and you are ready to cast all of your cares, your anxieties, and worries, and disorders onto Him, He is ready to care for you. It's a matter of letting go and letting God take over. The people that he used in the greatest ways were very imperfect people. People with great flaws. People that in many occasions had been rejected and despised. God used. Because God was not and is not ever seeking to anoint talent, beauty, education, or any specific physical quality or appearance, God is interested in anointing hearts. The Bible's very clear about that. This is what God told Samuel when he went to Jesse's house to anoint the new king. And as Jesse brought all of his kids in, all of his boys, Samuel was confused because they all looked, on the outside, they all looked priestly. They all had the profile of a king. And when God rejected each and every one of the seven sons, he asked Jesse to bring in his last one, the youngest one. His name, David. Woolly, smelly, unpedigreed, shepherding sheep, shoveling sheep dung, David. And when David came into the room, God told Samuel the prophet, 
Now he is my man. He is a man after my own heart. You see, on the outside, David wasn't impressive. On the outside, he would have been rejected. He was not king material. But on the inside, he had a heart that was vast, deep, wide, big enough to hold the anointing of God. And so, keep in mind, my friend, he's not in search of perfection, only disposition. In Christ, you have a new creation, a new identity. You are a new person. You can let go of the trauma of yesterday, of yesteryears, the things that you were submitted to, those things that you experienced, the expectations that were placed upon you, the times that you were belittled, berated with words. You can let all of that go and take this new life on, the new life in Christ calls you his child, heir and joint heir with the Son, fearfully and wonderfully made, the apple of his eye, his prized possession, his masterpiece. I pray for you today that you will let go of the old and welcome the new into your life. Amen. Well, I hope that you enjoyed this episode and that it was liberating to your soul, that you were able to find peace within the turbulent times that you have had to endure. Above all, I pray that you would stop comparing yourself to other people, that you would seek to please the Lord and not those around you. Discover your true identity and live to your fullest potential in Him. If this episode really helped you today, would you take a few minutes to rate this podcast with a five-star rating and leave a positive, uplifting comment that will help other people who come across this podcast? It actually helps them uh, decide to listen to it or not, see if it's worth their time, as you probably did. So take just a few minutes of your time and would you bless me by doing that today? I really appreciate it. Visit the show notes and find uh, some of the bullet points from today's episode attached. And also, I will also add the uh, links to my Instagram, my Facebook, and also my scheduling app. So if you ever find yourself in a predicament needing to talk to somebody, needing some direction, uh, you can count on me for that. You can schedule a time and we can meet virtually over Zoom, uh, FaceTime, or WhatsApp, a video call. and uh, Or if you just want to ask me a quick question, uh, like uh, or follow my Instagram and send me a message through, uh, through that same platform, and I'm pretty good at answering promptly. But make sure that you don't take whatever is making you feel miserable and just hide it within you. Make sure that you bring it out into the open and you deal with it. All right, guys, I will see you next week with a new episode. God bless you guys. Love you in Christ. Bye-bye.